you'll take your Bible with me today and if you'll find 1 Peter chapter 4. As I mentioned to you, we are in this series. Actually, this is the last sermon in this series entitled Difference Makers. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 11 today. And we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. Thus far in this series, we've learned that we have to work together from the story of Nehemiah. We've seen that being a difference maker can be as simple as going about doing good to others. Jesus went about doing good. And then the past message, this last message, was a message about God's providence and our purpose, that God has a purpose in our lives. And when his providence and our purpose meet, powerful things are accomplished uh, to change people's lives. God has a purpose for your life. Today I want to be as practical as I can possibly be by, by telling you that, that you have a spiritual gift. You might have thought your spiritual gift was the gift of criticism or the gift of complaining or the gift of correction or a lot of other things, but the reality is that's none of those are spiritual gifts and God has given to you a spiritual gift and those spiritual gifts are listed in four different places in the New Testament. You find them in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, in Ephesians chapter 4, and then you hear them discussed here in 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at what is the simplest of them. When you make a list of the spiritual gifts, there's at least 19 spiritual gifts. And here the words, at least 19 spiritual gifts. Over the years of my study of the Scripture, I've come to believe that this may just be the list that we have, an illustration of the gifts that God gives. There may be more gifts that God gives, or certainly specific mixtures of the gifts that God gives, but the reality is that every person who is a believer in Jesus has a spiritual gift. Did you know that you're gifted? You might not have made it into the gifted class at school, but every one of you is gifted by God. And he has a purpose for your life. He has an intention for you to fulfill. And he has provided for you the ability to be able to do so. Follow with me, if you will, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to the other or to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Did you see that? As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments as we bring this series to a close, we are looking to challenge people to get involved. We've had a period of time because of the virus, the pandemic, that all of us had to unplug for a little while and we had to stay remote and distant for a while. But now, Lord, it's coming time for us to plug in and get moving again. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to see that you have prepared every one of us for this purpose. You've given to every one of us a gift, 
And I pray, Lord God, that we'll begin exercising that gift and begin utilizing that gift to bring glory to your name and to bring others to faith in Christ. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. From the first day that, that I got here until this very day, it has been my desire, it has been my passion that God would create for his glory a great church on this ridge. I get up every day thinking about it, 365 days a year. If you ride with me on vacations, you know that even when I'm away, we're talking about what we want God to do in his church and what we want God to do through his church and how we want God to use our church and how we want our church to be a lighthouse in the darkness and how we want to reach as many people as we can. We want to put the gospel before as many people as we can possibly place the gospel because we know that it's the power of God to salvation. And our job isn't to save anybody. Our job is simply to present the gospel and let the Spirit of God do his work in drawing men to himself and in converting men to Christ. I want our church to be a great church. And I've spent every day of my life for the last 30, almost 39 years working in that direction. Sometimes I aggravate people. Uh, they get aggravated with me. They get frustrated with me because I'm, I'm always pushing. I'm always evaluating. I'm always working to see something uh, adjusted or changed, or I'm thankful for something that's working successfully, but I'm always looking for other ways and better ways always that understand the context of the community where we live, that understand the clear teaching of Scripture, but looking for ways that we can continue to reach out and we can see more lives changed by the power of God. And here's the reality. I won't know whether we've succeeded or not until we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I've been thinking a lot about it lately. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is being judged by other people. His ministry is being judged by other people. And Paul says, I don't even judge myself. There's a day when I'll stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, and he will judge the works that I have done, and then I'll have praise of God. But until then... Paul wasn't capable of judging even the work that he did or the ministry in which he was involved. He just simply had to keep moving forward. He had to keep doing what God had given him to do to keep accomplishing the task that God had placed before him. And, and that's very much how I feel today about our church. I believe we have a great church. Everything about it seems to say we have a great church, but we won't know that because I don't know all of my motivations. I don't know all of the things that I might have missed that I somehow could have done in a different way and it would have been more pleasing to God. It won't be until I stand before him, but I can tell you there's not a day that goes by that I don't get up thinking, Lord, how can you use me? How can you use my ministry? How can you use these people to do a great work for your glory that transforms people's lives locally and globally? How can you do that through us? I believe God wants us to live like that. 
Some people want church just to happen. You know, you just show up and it happens to you. I don't believe God does his work that way. I believe God calls people to lead his church, to do something for his glory. I believe God calls a people to that vision. He calls a people to that ambition, to that goal, to to that glory that comes to Christ. He calls us and says, I I want you to join in this. I want you to have a vision. And, And I would tell you at my age, at this particular point in life, it would be easy to step back and just coast to the end. But I don't believe that would please God. And I don't believe that the Lord would be honored by that. And I, don't certainly, I certainly don't think at the judgment seat of Christ that would be something that is rewardable. We have, to, we have to run across the finish line. We have to keep moving forward. We, we can't sit back and say, well, you know, we're post-pandemic and we've already filled up almost all of the pews again. So we can relax for a little while. We just can't do that. There's still people in this community that don't know Jesus. There's still people in this world that don't know Jesus. And our task is to continue to reach as many of them as we can possibly reach until we meet Jesus face to face. Amen? That is our task. Well, you can't do that alone. It takes a great people to do a great work for God. But a lot of people step back and they say, well, you know, I'm not gifted for this. I'm not capable of that. I'm not able to do this, that, or the other. And I want to stop and I want to tell you today that if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, there's not a one of you that isn't gifted by God in some way. There are spiritual gifts, at least 19, that are listed in the New Testament. There possibly are even more than that or blends of those gifts that God gives to his people. But I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that every person at the moment of salvation has received a spiritual gift from God. And the question is, will you take that gift and will you use that gift for his glory in the building of a great church for the glory of God. Let me begin by telling you some things that spiritual gifts are not, because a lot of people get confused about this. First of all, spiritual gifts are not natural abilities and talents. Some of you have some unusual, some very wonderful, uh, some very special natural talents and natural abilities. As a matter of fact, you were just listening on the platform to some of these who have natural gifts and natural talents. I can't help but think of my own wife in this kind of a situation. Mary's been playing the piano since she was a little girl, but she's only had two years of music lessons. Maybe I should say that again. She only had two years of piano lessons. You say, how is it that you can sit down with 10 fingers and 88 keys and three pedals and you can play that instrument and your hands moving in opposite directions all the while talking to people who walk by and engage you in conversation? The only way you can do that 
is that God has gifted her with that talent, with that ability. We could say that about a lot of our musicians. We can say that about a lot of other people in our church. We have people who have photographic memories. They never forget anything they see. They can remember the page it was on. They can remember the page number it was on. They have photographic memories. They know exactly where everything is that they saw when they were studying or they were reading or they were preparing. I didn't get one of those. Actually, there was no film in the camera (laughs) when I was taking pictures. But there are people who have that kind of gift. Some people have a natural talent for sports, and others have natural talents for many different things. It comes by way of your genetics. It comes by way of your birth. But when I talk about spiritual gifts, I'm not talking about your natural abilities or talents. Secondly, spiritual gifts are not the evidence of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity may manifest your gift more clearly, and spiritual immaturity keep your gift from being manifested as it should be manifested. But we're not talking about spiritual maturity. We're not saying, well, that person must be especially mature because they have spiritually mature, because they have this incredible gift that contributes to the greatness of God's church. No, we're not talking about spiritual maturity. Every one of us starts out as a babe in Christ, and we're partaking of the milk of the word, and we're moving and growing till we come to the place that we can enjoy the meat of the word of God. And if you're not growing, if you're stunted in your growth, then something's wrong spiritually because God wants to move you from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity. He doesn't want you to be the kind of person that has to be taught the first principles, the first oracles of God. To have to go back to the foundational stage over and over and over again. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature up. And spiritual maturity may give opportunity for your gift to be more manifest, more visible for people to see. But we're not talking about spiritual maturity here. We're talking about something that God has given to you. Every person has it. Every person has it who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, when I say spiritual gifts, we're not talking about uh, something that we receive by seeking them. We don't receive a spiritual gift by seeking, by seeking them. You know, Lord, I, I want the gift of, of mercy. Lord, please give me the gift of mercy. Or, or Lord, give me the gift of giving. Lord, just give me the gift of giving. Or, or, Lord, give me the gift of teaching. Lord, I want the gift of teaching. You don't ask for these gifts. The gifts of God are divinely imparted by God himself. From the beginning of time, when he knew that you would trust in him as Savior, he had already chosen the gift that he was going to give to you. So they're not received by seeking them. Fourthly, spiritual gifts are not the same as the fruit of the Spirit. I hope that you'll also be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance, against which he says there is no law. The, the, spiritual, the, the fruit of the Spirit, I should say, it deals with the attitude of the believer. Spiritual gifts deals with the activities of the believer. Did you get that? 
The fruit of the Spirit deals with the attitude of the believer. The gifts of the Spirit deal with the activities of the believer. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence that a person is controlled by the Holy Spirit. But spiritual gifts... Spiritual gifts are given to every believer at the moment of salvation for the good of the body of Christ. That's what it means. Spiritual gifts weren't given for your own edification in the sense of evaluating yourself and feeling good about yourself. Spiritual gifts were given for the good of the body, for the good of the local church, for the good of the functioning of the body of Christ. And fifthly, spiritual gifts are not identical in every believer. They are not identical in every believer. In other words, you're going to have a little different mix of gifts than I have. You're going to have a little different use of your gift than I have. We may both have the same spiritual gift, but the way that gift gets works out, gets, gets worked out in our lives is a little bit different for every one of us. We, we use an acronym. It's not to, original to, to us or to me, but we use a little acronym to help people understand that God has shaped us for ministry. Every one of us, God is shaping us for ministry. And we take the word shape and we spell it out this way. The letter S stands for spiritual gift. That's where we're talking today. That's at the top of the list. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But the letter H stands for heart. Everybody has a love for something. Everybody has a passion for certain things. Some people have a passion for things that I have no passion for, and I have a passion for things they have no passion for. Everybody has a heart for something. The letter A stands for abilities. Everybody has different abilities. I remember many years ago in the other auditorium when I first came here, they had a a, what I called a fence. It was a wooden barrier that blocked off the pulpit area, and the pulpit sat behind it. Well, now that was a difficult thing because it was only two or three steps up to the platform, and I liked to come down and get right up close to the people. And so I had to climb over that thing, or I had to go down the side. I'll never forget uh, once we decided to remove it for my good so that I didn't trip and fall and kill myself in the process, uh, talked to Wayne Reed. Any of you remember Wayne Reed? Wayne Reed had this incredible giftedness for doing things with wood, making things and building things. He built bookcases for me. He built things in our church. He built a missions wall for our church. He did all of these things, the work of his hands. He came in and he removed that Barrier, what I call a fence. He removed that barrier and he made it look like it had never even been there. Uh, by the way, I didn't get any of that talent or ability. If you're remodeling at your house, I'll be glad to come help you, but you will regret it. <laughs> you will regret it. We have abilities. We have abilities that are unique to each of us. The letter P stands for personalities. All of us have different and unique personalities. I, I told our life group this past Wednesday, we're, we're planning a little party this Wednesday evening, and I, I told our life group, uh, you know, everybody wants to call the pastor when it comes party time. Not. <laughs> you know, I'm not known to be a partying kind of a person. You know what I mean? You, you don't give planning a party to me, we're going to sit around and have a deep discussion about something, you know? It just doesn't work. You know, that's just not my personality. 
It's not my personality. You, you have different personalities. Some people should work with children and some shouldn't. Some people should work with teens and a lot shouldn't. Some people should work with college students and others shouldn't. Some people should work with seniors and others shouldn't. We have different personalities. And then the letter E stands for experiences. We've been through things in life, things that have shaped our lives, things that have caused us to understand things about life that we didn't know, but because we've been through it, we understand something we didn't understand before. Some of you have been through the death of a loved one, a very near, dear husband or wife, a son or a daughter. You've been through a divorce and you know the pain that that causes and you've gone through other experiences in life and God has shaped us our spiritual gift our heart our abilities our personalities and our experiences and when you start blending these all together it makes every one of us unique but every one of us has a spiritual gift the combination of all of these things makes every believer different from the other believers but every believer is valuable and every believer is important. If you thought the part you played on the team, that is the church team, didn't matter much, then you don't understand the significance of God imparting to you a spiritual gift. That's at the very top. That's the most important thing. God's given to you a spiritual gift. Notice again what he says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one, not some, not a few, but all, as each one has received a gift, you have at least one spiritual gift. Maybe God gives some more than one gift. Maybe God gives some a blending of the gifts. But the reality is that God has given to every single one of us a spiritual gift. I was thinking about that today. For instance, there's the gift of exhortation. We have some people in our church who have the gift of exhortation, and you know it because they're like coaches in your life. They're always cheering you on. They're always able to pick you up. It's a person that draws alongside to comfort and to encourage, to rebuke, and even lead someone into an insight toward action. They help them to see something they didn't see before. Some have the gift of teaching. Those that lay down in a systematic order the complete truth of a doctrine and imply it or apply it, I should say, so that it becomes a part of our lives. Or some have the gift of mercy. My wife has the gift of mercy. If you ever heard him, that she's the kind of person you want to be with. If you're with me, I'm telling you, okay, well, here's the first thing you need to do. Here's number two. Here's number three. Here's number four. Number five. Now, if you'll do those six things, those five things, your life will get your life will get worked out okay. And, and you go stop and you talk to Mary, and Mary just puts her arms around you, and she says, it'll be okay. It, it'll be okay. That's the gift of mercy. I, I have the gift of serving. I love to do for other people. I love being able to serve you. I have the calling of a pastor, the office of a pastor, and those two go well together because the calling of a pastor is to serve people. There's all of these gifts. Do you get what I'm saying to you? There's all of these gifts that God has given, and every one of us has one of those spiritual gifts. We may have a blending of gifts, but God has gifted you so that every part of the body is necessary. There are no unnecessary parts. I have a little finger, and I don't always know why I have it, but 
I know there are moments when I'm thankful that I have it, right? Just take the thumb. Have you ever tried to pick up something off the table like a coin without your thumb? And about the only time you really think of your thumb is when you're nailing something up against the wall and you hit the thumb and then all of a sudden it isn't just your thumb that hurts, but it's all the way to your big toe that hurts, right? I mean, every part of your body hurts and you realize that every part, I didn't know how important the big toe was until one of my friends had his big toe cut off while he was, while he was mowing his yard. Accidentally, his foot slipped underneath the mower and it cut off his big toe. I didn't know how important it was to your balance. Think about all the different parts of your body. Most of them you can't even see. They're hidden beneath all of that skin and that skeletal structure. They're hidden within you, and yet every part of that body is necessary. Yeah, you might be able to get along with some, uh, without some of those parts, but your body functions a whole lot better. It becomes a, a great body when every part of the body is functioning. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a gift. The Apostle Peter says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Now understand the significance of what he's saying. You have a gift. I want you to go on a little trip with me, if you will. Go, go with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. What do we do with these gifts? I want you to see it. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul was writing to a young man, a a relatively young man by the standard of that day, a, a young man in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He's a, he's a preacher dealing with some difficult circumstances and some much older people. He's told not to let people despise his youth. But then notice verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Paul says to Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you. So what's one of the things that we can do with our spiritual gift? We can neglect it. That Greek word, if you do a little word study, you find that in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 9, it's translated as the word disregard. It's translated in Matthew chapter 22, verse 5, as the words to make light of. In other words, Paul was saying to Timothy, don't make light of the gift that is in you. Don't disregard the gift that is in you. Do you see what he's saying? Actually, that's called a light of tease. A light of tease is when you say something in the negative to emphasize the positive. It's like, I, I just finished this unbelievably delicious meal, and somebody says, how was it? You say, oh, it wasn't that good. You're saying, man, it was great. It was great. And Paul is saying to Timothy, don't neglect that gift. It's a light of tease. He's saying, look, pay attention to it. Give attention to it. Focus on it. Understand it. You've got to give attention to that gift. I've never known or heard of a great political leader who didn't run for office. And I've never known a Hall of Fame athlete who lived on the bench. And I've never seen someone honored for their work who didn't show up. It's those who are engaged that are known for making great contributions, right? Right? It's those who show up and get engaged that are known for making great contributions. They get involved. They get off the bench. They don't neglect their gift. They don't disregard it. They don't make light of it. 
You understand that great churches aren't built with spare time and pocket change. Great churches are built by great servants making great sacrifices. As a matter of fact, I watched the video. I picked the video out that you watched just before this service, right before I came to preach. And it calls those who are serving volunteers. I really don't even like the word volunteer. Volunteer implies that, you know, I only have to be there every once in a while. I'm just volunteering. God never calls us volunteers. God calls us his servants. We show up to serve him. And Paul says to Timothy, don't neglect the gift. Secondly, if you look over chapter uh, 1 of uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, if you haven't turned back too far, he he goes on, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Notice what he says, verse 6. Therefore, Paul's still writing to this young preacher. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. Not only should you not neglect it, he says to Timothy, I want you to stir it up. It means exactly what you think it means. Like a fire. What happens to your fire in your fireplace if you do nothing to it? Little by little, it begins to diminish. The flame begins to die out. He says, not only should you not neglect your gift, you should stir it up. You say, how do I stir it up, preacher? Well, you stir it up by serving. You stir it up by reading your Bible. You stir it up by praying. You stir it up by hearing the preached word, what you're doing today. You stir it up by fellowshipping with the saints. You stir it up by sharing your faith with others. You stir it up by giving to the work of God. You stir it up. You go in and you poke the fire Listen, the fire will go out in your life if you don't stir it up. It's the, old, it's, it's the old illustration about people who quit coming to church. You remember the, the coals that you used to have when you were going to grill? Those briquettes, those little square black coals, and you had to pile them up, and then you took the lighter fluid, and you soaked them down in lighter fluid. Now, they're all, that's all pre-done for you these days. But you soaked them down in the lighter, lighter fluid, and then you, you lit a match over here, and you threw it over there. And then when it started to go out, you squeezed the lighter fluid from a distance. You know what I'm saying? And you watched it flame up. And what happens if one of those coals gets separated from all of the other coals? It goes out, doesn't it? you got to stir it up. you got to stir it up. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. You don't neglect it. You, you got to stir it up. Chapter 4, you got to use it for others. You got to use your gift for others. Notice again, verse 10 as each one has received a gift, do what with it? Minister it to one another. This is going to be an incredible thought for some of you, but your spiritual gift wasn't intended first for the world around you that doesn't know Christ. Your spiritual gift was intended to be used for the betterment of the, of the church of God, the people of God. When I say a church, a great church, I'm not talking about buildings and properties. You can knock these down as far as I'm concerned. These are tools. That's all they are. They are tools. They don't mean anything. They're nothing more than brick and mortar and carpet and wood. That's all they are. You're the church. You're the church. Building a great church means building a great people. 
And building a great people means great sacrifice. And all of us putting our hands to the plow and saying, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to use my gift. How God has shaped me, my spiritual gift and my heart, my abilities, my personality, my experiences. I'm going to see how God has shaped me. And I'm going to plug in. And I'm going to get involved. We use them for others. I think the Apostle Peter would be shocked at how we go about serving God in the church today, how we go about talking about spiritual gifts. Too often the concern when it comes to the matter of spiritual gift, a gift isn't about serving others. It's about self-fulfillment. It's one of the reasons I don't really like personality tests. I've done many of them. I don't like personality tests because people take a personality test and then they say, well, I can't help myself. That's just the way I am. Yeah, I mean, I can't help it. It's just, just my personality. <laughs> every gift has its strengths and every gift has its weaknesses, but you don't make excuses for the weaknesses. You ask God to give you grace, to fill you with his, with his grace, that your gift will be worked out in a way that the strengths are what you build on. And yet we so often look for our gifts like self-fulfillment. We give uh, people the opportunity that are joining the church to take a spiritual gift inventory. Nothing wrong with doing that. It's a good thing, but you know what that normally does? You rarely find your gift that way. Most often you may confirm your gift that way, but you rarely find your gift that way. You know how you, you, know how you find your gift? You find your gift by serving. Just go plug in somewhere and start working. Start giving yourself to the work of God, to the church of God. Do you believe that the church is God's work in this world? I guess I'm going to have to go home. Do you believe that the church is God's work in this world? It absolutely is. A great church is filled with great people who understand the great work of God in the world is being done through great churches. Great churches where people are using their gifts not for their own self-fulfillment. Oh, I feel good when I get to do this. But you're doing it for the benefit of others. You're not trying to feel validated. You're not trying to feel good about yourself. You're not trying to get away from some guilt that you have. You're not using it to manipulate other people. You're just seeking to know your gift and use your gift because when I do so, I bless and benefit someone else. Can I give you something that's a little off topic here for a moment? Are you depressed? Are you discouraged? Get out of your house. Get out of your car. Go find somebody else and serve them. you'll soon find that your problems aren't nearly as great as you thought they were. It may be that you have a chemical imbalance. I understand that that exists. But the reality is a lot of us sit around thinking about ourselves, spending all of our time focused on ourselves, and our spiritual gifts aren't for us particularly. They are for the body of Christ. Number four, we have to not neglect them, and we have to stir them up. We have to use them for others. Number four, we have to be true to Scripture. He goes on here in verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. That's interesting that the apostle Peter 
uses two broad categories where there is a list of more specific details about spiritual gifts. Peter gives two broad categories. Some are speaking gifts. Some are serving or ministering gifts. If you got a speaking gift, that doesn't mean you don't serve. If you got a serving gift, that doesn't mean you never have to speak. But the reality is you're most comfortable serving where you speak, and over here you're most comfortable serving where you don't have to speak. And Paul, or Peter gives these two broad categories. But do you realize he says it ought to be according to the oracles of God? That phrase, the oracles of God, always referred to the Old Testament Scripture. And for you and me, it re- refers to the Old and the New Testament Scripture. Be true to Scripture. Do you realize that God gets blamed for a lot of things that aren't his fault? God told me to. I believe God led me to. And of course, my, one of my first questions is, how do you know God told you, and how do you know God led you? G- give me the evidence. Sh- show me how you know God told you and God led you. Can God tell you and God lead you? Absolutely, he can do both of those things. But I want to know, is this just some inner feeling you have? Or is this something that squares up with the word of the living God? I can't tell you how many times in, in, in 40, almost 45 years of ministry, somebody has come to me and said, now, Pastor, I know that he or she's not a Christian. I know it. But I love him or her. And I just know that this is God's will for me to marry him or her. I know it is. And I'm going to marry them. And then God's going to save them. And and God's, I, I just know it. I feel it, Pastor. This is God's will. You realize that doesn't square with the scripture? Is anybody with me? It doesn't square with the scripture. We're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You stop and you ask God. You know, you have people that have all of these crazy feelings. I, I just I feel good all over. I just know this is what God wants me to do. You better have more than your feelings. Be true to the scripture, number five. Rely on God's enabling. He goes on in verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. The boundaries of what we do, the use of our gift, is the word of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. Here's the incredible thing. Not only does God give you a gift, he gives you all of the power to operate that gift. You like that? Oswald Chambers said, when we choose deliberately to obey him, then he will tax the remotest star in the last grain of sand to assist us with all his mighty power. Do you realize that the resurrection power that raised up Jesus Christ dwells in you in the person of the Holy Spirit? And the spiritual gift that God has given to you is empowered, will be empowered. If you allow God to do so, will empower you. God will give you that energy that you need, that spiritual energy, if you'll just get busy. And number six, you have to use that gift to bring glory to God. You don't neglect it. You you stir it up. You use it for others. You're true to Scripture in whatever you do. You rely on God's enabling power. And you do it all for one sole purpose. Verse 11, if we speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If we minister, let him do it with the ability God supplies. That, here's the reason, in all things, whether speaking or serving, in all things, God 
may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And then he has a doxology to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you get it? Peter says, use your gift for the benefit of others. Do so within the boundaries of Scripture and use it to bring glory to God. We, most, we glorify God most fully when we do his will. And we do his will, when we do his will most fully, we lovingly meet the needs of others. We lovingly meet the needs of others. We serve God by serving others. If you're looking for a place to command people, that's in the business world. If you're looking for a place to serve people, that's in the local church. You say, Pastor, I get it, I get it. There's so many things I'd like to say to you. I'm leaving a whole bunch out. I, I took this out of today's newspaper. I, 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 mean, I ran it off. I get it electronically. I get it printed, the shortened, small version that only comes Tuesday through Sunday and not on Monday anymore that you have to look for to find, right? I get it electronically. Why are businesses having trouble finding employees? It says, this man, I put on my sign in all capital letters, missing job seekers, if found, bring inside. <laughs> A little later, I normally have at least 10 to 15 workers, and now we are down to seven, he said. It's making things really hard on us. And then a little later, talking about the Chamber of Commerce, I have heard from numerous members of our chamber who are having issues finding the necessary employees to offer their services and make their products. He continues, in some cases, we're hearing that some services and offerings have been limited by the company, not because of lack of supplies or demand, but the necessary workforce needed to meet the needs of their customers. Go read the article. It talks about the reasons, some of the reasons why people can't get their employees to come back. My concern is why can't we get God's church to come back? Plug in, get involved, go to work serving others using your spiritual gift and the unique shape that God has given to your life for the benefit and the blessing of others. So let me just finish this series like this. When I was a boy, I played baseball for five years. Some of you are baseball players extraordinaire. When you were a kid, I was never that. I was never extraordinaire. I enjoyed my time playing baseball, little league. I played the minors. Uh, the uh, peewee, minors, and the major league. And I enjoyed the five years that I played baseball. I enjoyed going to the Atlanta Stadium and watching Hank Aaron hit home runs. And, 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 you, know, and you know, doing the tomahawk thing while he runs around the bases. And Chief Nakahoma out in the outfield every time the smoke coming up out of his tent. And Chief Nakahoma coming out and doing his dance. That's all politically incorrect today. I didn't have any idea. And still think a lot of that's unnecessary. A lot of that political correctness is unnecessary. 
That's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. That's not a Bible opinion. That's just my opinion. But I love playing baseball. I found my real sport after I quit baseball. But I love playing baseball. You know, when I first started playing baseball, they were trying to figure out where I should play, where I would be best. You know how I found out? Through practice, through playing, and through participation. That's how I found out. Uh, they tried me in the outfield. Eh, it's okay. It's sort of boring out there in the outfield, especially in the smaller kids' leagues. You know, it's really sort of boring out there. It's no wonder the kids are down playing with the dandelions in the, in the field. I mean, <laughs> sort of boring out there. And, and then when they would hit those fly balls, I, I know you're supposed to listen to the crack of the bat and sort of get an idea of how far that ball's going, but I had trouble with that sometimes. One game, the ball hit me on the top of the head. It missed my glove altogether. I blamed it on the lights. <laughs> hit me on top of the head, bounced all the way to center field, and he threw the guy out at second. So it was a good play, wasn't it? <laughs> they tried me pitching one game until I walked four batters in a row. <laughs> and then I found my place at second base and third base certainly wasn't great, <laughs> but I wouldn't get hit in the head with a ball either. You say, how do you find your place in God's church? A church like this, this many people, where do you find your place to serve? How will I ever serve? You go to that table behind you, that round desk back there, and you say, my name is, my phone number is, I'm ready to start somewhere. Help me find my place but you'll never find that place unless you engage, unless you serve, unless you participate. You don't find your place contemplating it. Let me see. What do I want to do? Uh, it's not open right now. I wonder if I could just sit here for a little while. Maybe that person will get sick. <laughs> you know, that's... Maybe that person won't come. They'll get angry and leave. That, that isn't the way you promote unity in a church, by the way. <laughs> Contemplating. No, you get engaged. You start serving. You start, I, I, you, know, you know, you might not be good in the outfield. You might not be good at second or third base with grounders. You might not be your place. You might be on the mound. Maybe that's where you need to be. Or that most horrible place on the baseball team. I don't know how any of those kids do it. Behind the plate getting hit by all of those pitches and by the foul balls over and over. Oh, man, those kids need to be loved on. <laughs> you get out there and you try and you go at it until you find your place. But you don't find your place sitting on the bench. I finished by saying to our church, it's time to go to work. I realize the pandemic isn't totally gone we still have to be extremely careful and we will continue to take measures of caution but the souls of men and women cannot wait another day. Not another day. 